Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. Now, we've all heard about advanced housing concepts that require little net energy to operate. Architects, builders, and suppliers in the residential construction industry often get together at conferences and locally and sometimes birth new concepts while challenging other ideas. What kind of ideas develop when you ignite their passions, crowdsource ideas, and marinate for a few years? What if you aspire to build a pretty good house? What does that look like? How do you go about educating others? Joining us on today's podcast is Emily Matram of Matram Architecture, and she describes for us a passion project that started out with local discussions in her home state of Maine and has branched out into a book, a course, a podcast, webinars, and other regional events. Emily describes a pretty good house as an open source framework and set of guidelines for building or renovating a home that focuses both on its inhabitants and the environment, but keeps in mind that few people have pockets deep enough to achieve a perfect solution. The PGA's concept respects financial and practical constraints to meet both homeowner and environmental needs. In July 2022, Emily, Christopher Burley, Daniel Cobert, and Michael Maines began selling a book that organizes and presents the PGH framework. And by the way, there's a ton of links in the show notes so you can get access to all this good info. They've also created the Pretty Good House course, which is launching on January 4th, 2023. There's a link to that course in the show notes. And the course will also offer eight ResNet professional development credits for quality assurance designees and instructors. There's also a special offer. The course offers a special discount code of ResNet100, and this code is good for $100 off the course cost. Now, there's an early bird price available now through November 15th. Then after that, the regular price takes hold and continues along with the code until the day the course begins. If you want details on documenting the ResNet Quality Assurance Designee or Instructor Professional Development Credits, you can contact Scott Doyle. A link for Scott to his email address is in the show notes. Emily is also a HERS Raider, and she shares her experiences on energy and efficiency in her podcast, E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily, now in its fourth season. Link to that also in the show notes. Her podcast focuses on building science, architecture, and female entrepreneurship and stresses teamwork. Her passion continues to exude as co-host of the BS and Beer Show. Again, link in the show notes. Also with a link to Emily's bio. Okay, enough of me talking about Emily. Let's talk with Emily. Today, we're here with Emily Motram, who has got an interesting topic to talk about, and it's got three interesting initials, PGH, which is my hometown, Pittsburgh. But that's not what I mean, is it, Emily? It's not what it means, but you're not the first person from Pittsburgh who wants to adopt it. (laughs) So, Emily, tell us, what do you do and what is a PGH? So, I am an architect. I work in Maine. I have done strictly residential for the last 13 or 14 years. 
and most specifically, either energy efficient or high performance residential as we move and think and learn about all the different things up here in New England where it's really cold and we don't want to be cold anymore. That is what I do. Pretty Good House is actually something that really evolved out of that teaching and training. We have a local discussion group that met in Portland for years and years. Pre-pandemic, we used to meet in person once a month. We would have a topic of discussion. And one of the builders, who is actually another co-author of the book, said one day, I just want to build a pretty good house. He was a little bit frustrated by one of the building systems that he was supposed to be following and trying to make sense between the economics of doing some things and really building pretty good and what makes the most sense. And so the topic stuck. They were going to write a book maybe 10 years ago. Then people stopped reading, which is a haha joke. But publishing really didn't do as many books. And then when the pandemic happened, books really took off. And so it seemed like the right opportunity. We had written about it, spoken about it. Mike Maines, another co-author, has written lots of articles in Fine Home Building and Green Building Advisor about it, about this concept. And really, it's just this crowdsourced practical building application with something that revolves around economics. I don't know about everybody else, but I don't generally have clients who don't have budgets. It was something that we felt was really important. So what is the best that you can do until it no longer economically makes sense? And that's how Pretty Good House got started. Very around the edges way of explaining that. Yeah. And also very organic in its development. And a lot of times things that are developed in that way have a lot of sustaining power because of the crowdsourcing, especially. So you did mention a book. So there's a book. What's that book about? Yeah. So this year released in July of 2022, we finally put all of the thoughts and 10, 12 years worth of meeting in person and learning about different things and different ways of practicing into a book because a lot of our professionals, either young professionals coming to us, builders, architects, designers, were like, how do I get started in this? And a lot of homeowners where we felt like we were repeating the same thing. What does it really mean to build a pretty good house? What are we talking about with durability and water saving and insulation performance and all this stuff? And so the Pretty Good House book is written to be accessible to both homeowners and young or new building professionals trying to really build better houses with also some detailed information sprinkled in there to help everybody understand why it is we do or practice the way that we do. And no builder out there wants to get a call back. And so we start talking about building science in terms of durability and understanding how things go together and how we're managing the moisture in our structures. We can really start to understand like, oh, maybe I should think about this. So at the end of every chapter, there's actually a section called things to think about. And it's really just a way to encourage people to think through the whole process before you start building it and then have to come back because you have an issue on something that maybe you didn't think about or didn't completely have someone on the team watching the details of how something went together. So a very holistic process. Yes. A house is a system for sure. Absolutely. And part of what we're going to be talking about today is a course that's being launched. And it sounds like with that things to think about section, you wrote it like a textbook. Yeah. 
I don't know that that was necessarily the intention when we did it, but it came out that way. And we've actually had several people who have said, can I use this as a textbook for XYZ high school or college course that I'm teaching on either building or design? But it also really followed up in a respect for continuing education, right? This is the ResNet podcast, so hers Raiders are familiar with having to do continuing education. The same is true for some builders in some states, not all, that's a little less frequent, but a lot of architects. And health and safety is one of the ones that architects have to have a lot of too. So we decided that it made sense to take the book and then transition that into a course. One, to get more detailed information on all of the things that we mentioned in the book, but two, also people take in their information in different ways. And they may find that it's actually a little bit better to have a course that maybe further goes into detail some idea or mentions it or that you can watch in a 10 minute segment instead of taking the book. After you've worked 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you've been out on a job site, maybe the last thing you want to do is sit and read a chapter in the book. And so the thought process is that it really lends itself well to a training course. And I wish that this would have existed for me when I became a newer architect. People asked me, how did you do it? And I was like, well, I did all the certifications and I kept going and kept learning different things from all of them. So there's a lot of really great information out there and we don't want to downplay certainly any of the certification programs any of the really detailed resources, buildingscience.com or Green Building Advisor or the ResNet podcast and blog and all the continuing education that's out there. But it can be overwhelming for somebody who's just starting to get into the field. Like, where do I even start? And this is sort of a primer on like, this is where you start. These are the things you need to know. Oh, you really don't understand this section? Here's where you can go to learn a whole lot more information about that. Sounds like one of the subtitles should be Emily's Book of Questions. (laughs) It really was probably started that way because it was like 10 to 12 years of somebody posing a question and anywhere from 10 to 50 people getting together to talk about how they did it, what worked, what didn't work. So many great ideas coming out of it. So really, that's really the case. It's just years of questions and sometimes repeat questions like a year or two later we got to talk about this again because we're constantly getting new building materials in the market so it's like okay well how does this building material work in this detail and is this going to work the way we think it does or everybody's always looking for new tapes new membranes new ways to seal or attach things and so i think there's a constant learning environment which to me is exciting but can be challenging for some people there's often too many options on the table a lot of things to think about and also the economics is an interesting point because you can have all kind of grand visions but if you don't bring to fruition nothing gets done And I think that it's this delicate balance too, right? What we've seen, unfortunately, in the field is that things that have driven the market aren't always in the best interest of the overall house or comfort of the occupants who live in it after the fact. We really don't want you to downgrade your building envelope. That's the part that manages the water and manages the heat flow and keeps you warm and dry on the inside with a lot less air infiltration. 
there's also a point of diminishing return where maybe it just doesn't make sense to add any more insulation or especially if you're doing a renovation where it's just complicated and if it's going to be so complicated and both economically difficult to do but also in the building world now we're seeing a lot more where people are focusing on carbon emissions if to improve your overall building operations you have to add a lot of carbon emissions into the atmosphere also may not be the right choice. So when we talk about economics, we're talking about both financial budgets, but also this budget that we want to think about, which is our carbon emissions. Like at what point have you spent your carbon emissions on a project and it just doesn't make sense to do anymore. But in the same respect, when you're talking about, especially, well, honestly, really in renovation or in new construction, is there are ways to save on the economics by simply understanding what your team knows how to do and building off of that. Every contractor's got a system that their guys have done over and over again that they know they can build economically. And then maybe you have four or five detailed changes to really improve the performance. But if you give somebody a completely different method of doing something, it might be really expensive. It might be hard for them to accomplish that the first time. Am I saying we shouldn't do things? No, certainly not. But saving on economics may simply be having your builder on board earlier in the design, designing less so you know how they're going to build it so you don't have to do 15 drawings to get there, really highlighting the details so everyone's super successful at it, and using the knowledge from people who have been building for 25 years and know how to do some things really well. Also, we like to say right-sized buildings. And so not building more square footage than you actually need because square footage is just a number I like to say that the building department uses to determine your taxes. Most people can't lick their finger and put it in the air and say, this is 1,800 square feet. So I'd love to get rid of this whole idea of needed square footage and get back to the idea of planning for spaces that people actually need and use. And that's different for different people. And then also planning for, don't plan for the one day of year that the Christmas tree fits in this one space. Plan for the other 364 days of the year when you physically use that space. Or I love the guest bedrooms. People love to build guest bedrooms for the guest that comes once a year. Like, Do you know how much money that costs if you start putting some numbers on it? Is it worth fifty dollars to $60,000 to you to have a guest bedroom available for one week of the year? So anyway, we talk about economics and ways that you can think about changing the economics of your structure without reducing the performance and the comfort in the end. So it really is just retraining our thoughts on how economics is applied to building. Versus just saying, I'm going to take out all this great insulation and I'm going to put in this not so great insulation and cross my fingers and hope it works out. Sure. It's not just a math exercise. Yeah. So how will this course be delivered? Are, are this, you in the works for doing that now? We're in the works and putting that together. The course is going to be delivered in three segments. And so people will be able to do all three segments or be able to pick one segment at a time. It's also going to be available at a discount for people who have offices who want the whole office to take the course. So that's a great thing in favor of people who 
are looking for that information. But the segments are then broken down into modules and sections within the segments, hoping to keep most of the modules under 30 minutes. Most of them are more 10 to 15 minutes so that you can really consume that information at your own pace. And then at the end of all three modules, there's going to be a live Q&A. Myself and one of the other book authors will be on that, along with a couple of guest experts in that field. So one thing that we want to expand on from the book, which is questions that we've gotten since then, is how does this apply to my climate zone? So I am also trying to bring into the equation people who practice in other areas of the country, because although... Pretty Good House was started in New England. It's a concept that applies to everywhere, but you do have to extrapolate a little bit of the information because, of course, the details that we use and we're familiar with are climate zone six and seven. You don't have to do all the climate zone six and seven stuff if you're in climate zones one through three. In that case, you are more combating vapor driven from the exterior and humidity and shading and overhangs versus where we're concerned about water management, snow melt, and super thick walls to keep us warm for nine months of the year. <laughs> Are there any principles that reduce out of all this when you think about all the climate zones or just like, are there a handful of principles of a pretty good house? There are a handful of principles of a pretty good house. Those are pretty common in just general building science, which is your different control layers, your water control layer, your vapor control layer, your thermal control layer, and your air control layer, and that those things are all continuous. So no matter what you do or how you approach it, you want to have all of your control layers be continuous and sealed well. Whether your vapor is coming from inside or outside will depend on how you handle it. Same with your air barrier. Sometimes your water control layer on the exterior and your air barrier can be the same thing. But it's about knowing that these things are continuous and that we've done a really good job on air sealing, insulation, so whatever your insulation level is for your climate zone. And insulation also keeps heat out. So if you're in a hot climate, you're doing the reverse It also helps to control moisture. We want to know where the water's going and we want to understand what we're asking our building products to do. So are you allowing your building to dry or so are you allowing some moisture to get into a system and allowing it to dry, encourage drying, or are you actively trying to keep that water out in some way? So Those are strategies that apply to everywhere in the country. And then the other thing that we would like PGH to also keep into account is carbon emissions. So this comes down to our materials, what we're using, what's the life cycle of that material. If you have to take it off of your building, where does it go and where does it live? And I personally think that also affects the health of the people who are building you're building, if they're cutting certain materials and they've got to wear so much PPE to cut that material, how good is it really environmentally? So taking into account the carbon emissions and the economics of the structure and last mechanicals, this is something that I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention that it deserves, which is 
We like to think about our ventilation system as the lungs of our building. We breathe through our lungs. Our lungs filter out things that we put into our lungs that go into our bodies. Ventilation systems are doing the same. Leaky structures pull air from not great places. If you've ever been in your dirty attic or your dirty basement, that's where your air is coming from in a leaky structure. But also, if you're in an area and you're like, well, I'll just open my windows and get outside air. That's not fresh air. That's just outside air. And as we've been seeing in parts of our country right now, that outside air isn't always fresh air either. So really starting to think about ventilation in our buildings that can both filter and bring in air and supply it to where it needs to go in the house to both promote healthy indoor air quality, but also drying if it needs to, or a reduction in cooling because you're not bringing really moist air inside. So really thinking about the whole house as a system, not just the systems that are in our house and tying all that stuff together. So I seem to recall like 20 questions on PGH. Is that still true? Is that something that's still in there? 20 questions on PGH. I don't know if that is still in there. I'll have to look it up. Okay. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. I don't remember what you're talking about. Okay. Maybe it's something different. It's entirely possible since there are four of us and we're just the four who volunteered to put it into our book format. It's possible that it was that Mike wrote about it and a fine home building article and it was just a way of addressing it. But yeah, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> Do you have a pretty good house? Check these boxes. And if you have... Check these boxes. Oh, maybe. It's Pretty Good House is not a certification program, so I should have probably led with that. It's really just guidelines on how to build better houses. So we really want to say that it works in conjunction with all of these different building certifications. You can have a pretty good house that's also HERS rated. You can have a pretty good passive house because financially it may make sense for you to get all the way to passive house and have thought about some of these other things as you were going through it. It's possible. The joke used to be that if you thought that you had a pretty good house, you could send Dan $5 and he'd send you a sticker. (laughs) (laughs) But there may have been a checkbox, although I would think that they might resist the idea of a checkbox just so that it didn't feel like you were trying to check the check boxes to say you did a pretty good house. Essentially, we just want people to understand the ideas and buy into the idea of building better. Sure. And understand this full assessment all the way, things to think about all the way through points for discussion. You did mention Dan, but you didn't mention everyone's last name. So I want to give you a chance to mention everyone who's involved, first and last name. So there are four authors of the Pretty Good House book. Although we are just the four authors that put it into book format, there are plenty of people who have really contributed to it. The authors are Chris Briley, who is an architect with Bryburn here in Maine, Michael Maines from Michael Maines Residential Design, Dan Colbert, who is our resident builder for the book with Colbert Building, and myself, Emily Mottram, also an architect here in the Maine area. Got it. Okay. Want to make sure everybody got fair credit there. Absolutely. So this has been going on, you said, for 10 to 12 years. Are you starting to hear about its impact in places that surprise you? And Any surprises pop up, like someone gives you a call, or you get an email from somewhere in the country? I mean, I think that what's really exciting, and I think this is partially because of something that spawned 
off of the Pretty Good House concept. So as I mentioned, we had a local building science discussion group that used to meet in person once a month, our performance home building suppliers warehouse. And we used to meet there for 10 to 12 years. Then right before that, For a couple of years, Mike Maines, who's one of the co-authors, said, it's hard for me to get all the way to Portland. I'm in a more rural area. So he started another group and he called it BS and Beer simply because a brewery was the only place in his local area that people could get together and do this sort of discussion thing. And we did that mostly once a month for, I think, two or three years before the pandemic hit. And then we are friends with both the Portland group and this rural group. So what we did was hop on Zoom and just make sure that everybody in our community up here was okay. And word got out and people who had previously asked us who may have seen us speak at conferences or read some of the articles and find home building or green building advisor on this concept was like, they were always like, can you videotape it? Let me tell you, it is like a hot mess inside these forums, people talking over each other, having a discussion, shouting things out. The acoustics are terrible in the brewery. You're not the only people who are there. There are also other people there. And so we were always like, no, no, no. So then we just hopped on Zoom to make sure that everybody was okay right after the pandemic hit. I wanted to say it was like maybe April of 2020. And word got out that we were doing this. And it sort of exploded into a every week for two years, we met on Thursday to basically do building science. And it was awesome. We have had some of the leading experts in the field. We have had just topics that are interesting. We even do a Halloween show every year, which is like scary building failures or something ridiculous. And that has become really popular. We have found that in 2022, people were really getting back to their everyday life and that we were really encouraging local groups to start getting back together. And we're almost at a point now where people are starting to feel comfortable getting together 10, 15, 20 people in a local area and really talk about the idea of BSMB or a pretty good house in their local communities. What's available? What do they want to lobby their building uh, lumber yard to carry that they can't get? That kind of stuff. And so we were really encouraging local groups. They were just starting to get back together in person. Local groups have popped up all over the country moved BS and Beer, the BS and Beer show, which is live on Zoom the first Thursday of every month. Now we moved it to monthly because we do realize that there are some locations where people just will not have access to it. They're too rural, whatever, but they're still interested. Still a lot of value in doing it online. But now once a month, much more reasonable. You can show up one Thursday a month to hang out. But the part that's fascinating to me is It's fairly popular in Canada. We have somebody who joins us for usually BS and coffee from Australia because it's like 9 a.m. when we're doing our 6 p.m. show. So I'm just really pleased with how widespread the idea and concept is, as people really getting together and talking about how do we build better things. Wow. It's amazing. And did I see recently BS and Beers got a sort of a road show or is supporting local activities like you mentioned? We are supporting some local activities. And so a couple of us have gone to one of the BS and Beer show hosts who also started his local chapter, BS and Beer Kansas City. 
has been doing a small symposium in Kansas City. This was the third year and has decided to take that on the road to other small avenues. So they're actually doing, they did the Midwest Building Science Symposium in Kansas City in September. We're doing the Southeast Building Science Symposium here this coming week. Actually, there may even still be one or two out there for people who want to join, but we're doing that this week in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They're going to do Honestly, I don't know what they're calling the Texas, but they're going to do one in Austin, Texas, and they're going to do one in Washington, D.C. So really starting to do some smaller local shows with access to some deep building science knowledge this year. The speakers, I'm speaking about Pretty Good House. Enrico Bonolari is talking about Passive House. Allison Bales is talking about all kinds of things, mechanical, etc., Jake Bruton and Steve Basic and Ben Bogie, I think, are all doing control layers. So they're all talking about different control layers because that's something that's really important as we talked about control layers. Absolutely. One of the key points. So a bunch of great symposiums being really supportive locally of that. Would you say is the biggest myth you have to bust when you get challenged on this whole concept? pretty good house is, this is a pretty good house. It is not the good enough house. That is a challenge that we've gotten. Now, it's meant to be funny. I think that if you read the book and you hear us speak at conferences and you listen to any of us, we all realize that building is challenging. It's difficult. It's meant to have some humor added to it. It's not meant to downplay that some of these things are challenging and take a little bit more work, but it should be a little bit fun sometimes. So the Pretty Good House, the name really stuck, I think, 50% because some people just don't get it. And also because some people just don't get it. That makes it funny. (laughs) (laughs) For listeners, we'll have some specific information about the ResNect professional development hours that'll be associated with the course. And that's in process and will be there when the course is delivered. Now, the course you said will be broken into three segments. Is it live? Is it Zoom? Is it learning management system? How does this work? Yeah, it's not live. It's going to be a learning management system. So it's going to be a learn at your own pace. And then at the end of each segment, which I think, I can't remember how many weeks the segments are live before the Q&A. I think two or three weeks of time for you to go through all the sections, there will be a live Q&A. So there will be a small live portion. If you happen to miss the Q&A, it'll be recorded for those people who potentially can't make it at that time frame. And I do also believe that there will be a question and answer section. So as you're going through things, if there are questions that pop up, I think there is some Q&A chat response question and answer while you're taking it. Yeah, so you can reach out to the instructors and get some feedback. Is there an exam at the end? I don't believe there's an exam at the end, but with these ResNet credits and AIA credits, there may need to be a little something to prove that you went through the whole section, in which case at this point, I'm not entirely sure. But if there is, we'll put that together to make sure that the credits are all valid. Yeah, Scott Doyle who's the technical director of quality assurance and training, will have those details. And there'll be a link to his email in the show notes. But this is being recorded in almost mid-October for release later this year, a little bit later this year. So by then, things will probably drop into place. Yeah, things will probably have dropped into place. The course won't be available until the beginning of January of 2023. Great. I have a little bit of time to finalize all of the details on making sure that everybody gets the credits that they need for or they are applying for. 
it sounds like you mentioned a lot of things that were rewarding that came out of this whole process, this decades-long process that led to this point. What do you see as the future for this, this concept of PGH and the instruction on it? I really would love to see the future of PGH be even larger crowdsourced materials, like we said, talking about different climate zones, different things that are applicable, really making an impact on a larger scale for what we'd like to see in our buildings, whether it's building materials or whether it's just client education. So when my clients come to me, they've either read the blogs that I've written, listened to my podcast, seen articles that I've written, heard me talk, or read the book, well, now read the book. I mean, a lot of people have asked me, like, what's a good book for me to kind of understand what I'm asking for? And so that was part of what was really great about pulling the book together, because I think it does answer a lot of questions for homeowners. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground on this topic. I'd like you to share a parting thought with our listeners. I met Mike Maines when I was speaking at a conference and I said, those who educate the market own the market. And that's just been a philosophy that I have really felt like has been a core part of my practice, which is I really love to share the knowledge that I have. I fully admit I don't know everything. I just know people who know things I don't know. And so really, I think, like I said, the whole crowdsourcing of ideas, really bringing this together, sharing only makes us better. I think that there's such a need in the construction industry for people in trades, engineering, architecture, et cetera, right now that we're not competing with each other. We're only making each other better. So for me, my parting wish is really to continue this collaborative nature, which I think is very present in building science and high-performance building, both through ResNet, Passive House, Pretty Good House, Living Building Challenge, all of these things. I find that the people in this world are always full of sharing and knowledge, and I learn new things every day. And that, to me, is really amazing. And I encourage other people to get together with other locals in your area and start talking about it. It's exciting. That's fantastic. And you did mention you have a podcast. Do you want to put a little plug in for that? Sure. I do a monthly podcast. I used to do it more frequently, but as you can tell, I've got a couple of things going on. So now it's a monthly podcast. It's called E3 Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I talk about architecture, female entrepreneurship, and building science. So I really like to talk about and highlight other people in the industry who are doing cool things that are bringing stuff to light that we maybe haven't had a lot of experience with ourselves, affordable and equitable housing, other female entrepreneurs. Sadly, there aren't that many out there. So I like to really highlight them and just say, if I had had a mentor like that when I started out on my own, like how cool would that be? So I love to say, hey, that's cool to be in this industry. So that's what my podcast usually goes through. Every once in a while, we have somebody who comes on and talks about a product not to sell the product, but for me to get to ask all of my questions. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And lots of just totally different things. It's mostly like a Friday afternoon with Emily. There you go. And podcast I do, Building HVC Science, it's like, it's done for me. And then if anybody wants to listen, they can. That's how I feel. It was like the whole, what was it, like Tuesdays with Maury where people would just get together and talk. It's done for me. I love to meet cool people, hear new things, expand my horizons, see what other people are doing, and they share their experience. And if someone listens, awesome. If not, I had a great time. Excellent. Well, thank you, Emily, for coming on. 
the Res Talk podcast and giving us a lot of great background on this. And I look forward to continuing to delve in the details and I hope our listeners do too. Great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. And again, tons of links in the show notes. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today related to the topic at hand and also spoken by the guest on the show. Those that educate the market own the market. And that's a quote by Emily Mottram. If you want to feedback to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. US. If you're not subscribed, please do so. As always, thank you for spending the time to listen to Res Talk. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.